Well, I turn now to our scripture lesson for the sermon this morning, which continues our study of 1 Corinthians. And we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 today, verses 27 through 34. So this is God's holy word, as he gave to the Apostle Paul, as Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. So chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 through 34. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I will set in order when I come. And thus ends the reading of God's holy word for us at this time. Let's briefly pray. Lord, we do pray that you would now not only bless the reading of this word and its hearing, but also its exposition, that we all might be well edified by what you have taught us in your word. Build us up after the image of Christ that we might not be judged, but that we might rather be conformed more to his image. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a couple of Sabbaths ago, uh, we read of Paul's dealing with the problem of factions, of disunity in the Corinthian church, which made it not the Lord's Supper, he said, Uh, when they attempted to observe the sacrament. And last Lord's Day, then, we dealt more specifically with the doctrine of the Lord's Supper. And today we deal with the problem that some were partaking of the sacrament in an unworthy manner. So it's my intention today to handle first what it means to partake in an unworthy manner. Or, in short, Paul says the problem is that, that they are not discerning the Lord's body. So we'll dig into what it means to discern the Lord's body. What is it that they're not doing? So first, what is the meaning of discerning the Lord's body? What is being failed at here in Corinth? And then secondly, we'll deal with the consequences of not doing that, of not discerning the Lord's body. And then third, we'll consider the remedy for not discerning the Lord's body. So first, what does it mean to discern the Lord's body? In verse 27, Paul says that partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner uh, renders one guilty, he says, of the body and blood of the Lord. He writes, therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So he's just established in the previous verses, as we noted last week, uh, that the sacrament proclaims the Lord's death until his return. The time when he gave his body and blood, when he uh, gave himself to suffer and die for the sins of his people. To dishonor the sacrament with our sinful handling of it, in other words then, is to discern Christ's uh, action 
or atoning sacrifice, or rather is to dishonor, I should say, his uh, atoning sacrifice is not to discern his body. It's to dishonor his, his atoning sacrifice to which that sacrament points. And Paul explains in verse 29 that the root of the problem is the, the, the thing that's behind the fact that so many are partaking in an unworthy manner is this failure to discern, as he calls it, the Lord's body. Verse 21, For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So that's, that's how he's defining the problem here. To partake in an unworthy manner is to fail to discern the Lord's body. So that begs the question, what does it mean then to discern the Lord's body? How can we avoid doing this? Uh, How can we avoid that failure? In other words, how can we discern the Lord's body so that we're not bringing judgment on ourselves? Well, the context shows us at least three elements of this quality of discerning the Lord's body. Paul wrote about it in the last chapter as well as in the verses that we're considering today. So, uh, first of all, Discerning the Lord's body means recognizing the presence of Christ himself in the sacrament. In chapter 10, verse 16, Paul wrote, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion that is fellowship with? Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of, again, fellowship with, the body of Christ? And in verse Verses 23 through 26 of chapter 11, as we read last week. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Now, Christ's physical body, we should note, is in heaven. Jesus is still truly human, and as such, his human body is a true human body. He has a human nature like ours. Uh, He can only be in one place at one time. Uh, The bread in communion does not physically become his body, nor does the wine physically become his blood. Uh, For that to happen, we would have to see his body broken and divided again, and so it would be like re-sacrificing Christ, and we deny that that is what's going on here. Christ has died once for all, as Hebrews tells us. So nor is his body and blood divided to appear in, with, or under the bread, so the bread doesn't turn into the bread the wine into his body, rather, and the wine doesn't turn into his blood, nor is his body and blood injected into it, so to speak. In Jesus' human nature, he has human limitations like we do. Now, he's in a glorified body, so it doesn't have all the same limitations that sin has brought upon our bodies. But he can only be in one place at one time in his human nature. Uh, Some have insisted that in his glorified state, he could be in more than one place at a time, uh, to which we have to rely... Uh, on the fact that uh, his body was not yet glorified when he instituted the sacrament. So we would reply to that and say, uh, no, uh, when he instituted the sacrament, he wasn't yet glorified. And, and at that time, he spoke in the present tense, this is my body, he said to his disciples, and this 
is the cup, or this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus' disciples at the Last Supper, I'm pretty sure, understood that he was speaking metaphorically, and so should we. But that limitation only applies to his human nature. As man, he is only in one place at a time. But as God, Jesus is spiritually present everywhere. And he is specially and covenantally present with his people and in his appointed means of grace. And so he is truly spiritually present, not physically, but spiritually present in the sacrament for those who partake worthily in faith. We noted this last time. Particularly, worthy partaking of the Lord's Supper shows faith in his atoning death until he returns. So, therefore, discerning the Lord's body has to involve recognizing the presence of Christ in the sacrament. It involves recognizing what the sacrament is actually pointing to. As the Heidelberg Catechism reminds us, that as truly, as surely, as you see the bread broken and you take it a piece of it, that you break it or that you eat it yourself, you know that Christ's body was really broken for you. As truly as you share in that cup, you know his blood was shed for you. So discerning the Lord's body involves recognizing his true presence in the sacrament. Secondly, discerning the Lord's body means also recognizing the union of believers with Christ. Remember, believers are metaphorically called the body of Christ. Again, chapter 10, verse 16, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion, the fellowship of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion, the fellowship of the body of Christ? The word for communion there, or fellowship, is koinonia in Greek. It means having something in common, but it's not simply in a superficial sense. Uh, Like, you know, how... You know, I might have some reading tastes in common with some of you, and you know that's neat. It gives us something to talk about. Uh, but uh, this this kind of fellowship here refers to a common nature or a deep fellowship. That's why it's translated here as communion or union with. Believers have a union with Christ, as Jesus tells us in John 15. Believers abide in Him, and He in them. There is a union, a true spiritual union. If you believe in Christ Jesus, you have a true spiritual union with him. In in the Lord's Supper, we see that the sacrament points to that union. Believers have internalized Christ as surely as your body internalizes the bread that you're eating and the wine that you're drinking, which point to his body and blood. So discerning the Lord's body means recognizing the union of believers with Christ. And then thirdly, discerning the Lord's body means recognizing the union of believers with one another. And that's really the problem going on here. It's a a large part of the problem going on here in, in Corinth with the factionalization of the church. Chapter 10, verse 17. For we, though many are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. That is, Jesus, the the true bread come down from heaven, the bread of life. As all believers partake of him to whom the Lord's Supper points, they have a union not only 
with him, but with each other. As we'll see in chapter 12, verse 12, believers are members, that is, body parts of one body. So Christ doesn't, isn't the head of many bodies, he's the head of one body. Or as Paul writes in Romans 12.5, we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So if we are one body in Christ, that means that we belong to each other, just like how my, my heart doesn't just belong to my head, it belongs to the rest of the body too. My fingers are part of the same body with my toes. And they can't say, no, we're part of the same body with the brain, but not with you guys, right? (laughs) They're all part of one body. In 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 through 22, we see how the, the Corinthian brethren have failed in this aspect of discerning the Lord's body. They're not discerning that they all belong to the same body. Paul says, now in giving these instructions I do not praise you since you come together not for the better but for the worse for first of all when you come together as a church I hear that there are divisions among you and in part I believe it for there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you therefore when you come together in one place it is not to eat the Lord's Supper for in eating each one takes his own supper ahead of others One is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. That's what we read a couple of weeks ago. We see that Paul is lamenting the, the, the failure to discern that all believers are part of the same body. Discerning the Lord's body means recognizing the union of believers with one another. So put them all together. We see that in order to discern the Lord's body, we have to do those three things. Recognize Christ's presence in the sacrament. Recognize the union of believers with Christ. And then recognize the union of all believers with each other. Again, as Paul says in Romans 12, we are members of one another because we're members of one body of Christ. So that's what it means to discern the Lord's body. So what happens if we don't do that? So that's our second point here. What are the consequences of not discerning the Lord's body? Paul tells us consequences involve judgment. Judgment. There is a judgment from God for those who partake unworthily, those who do not discern the Lord's body. As Paul says in verse 27, those who eat and drink in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord, he says. To treat the things we just considered as necessary to discern the Lord's body with disdain, or even lightly, just to take them too lightly, is to dishonor Christ for what he has actually done. Christ gave up his body and his blood, he died for my sins and for your sins and it dishonors him if I don't recognize his presence in that or it dishonors him if I don't recognize the union I have with him by faith it dishonors him then if I say well I have a union with him but other believers don't and therefore we don't have a union with one another it's just me and Jesus you know that would dishonor Christ Christ 
So Paul says in verse 29, For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. God judges those who partake in an unworthy manner. Now, as we'll see here, this ought not to make us too scared to come to the Lord's table ever. It just ought to make us examine ourselves. We'll come to that later, though. God judges those who partake in an unworthy manner. Indeed, Paul declares in verse 30, For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. That's a New Testament way of saying they have died. It's a a great comfort that consistently in the New Testament, when believers die, they're said to have fallen asleep. Because uh, it's it's teaching a lesson that as, as surely as you can reasonably expect to get up if you take a nap this afternoon, you can even more surely know that you will rise from the dead if you die before Christ returns. And so sleep is used often as a euphemism for Christian death. But some have died. As we study covenant history in Scripture, we find that under the covenant of grace, there are several sub-covenants, if we want to call them that. The the covenant with Noah, for example. The covenant God makes with Abraham. The covenant he makes with Israel through Moses. The Davidic covenant. The new covenant in Christ. And sometimes we find that in early years or generations of these sub-covenants, let's call it a covenant era, some will call it a covenant dispensation, uh, the Lord will emphasize the holiness that he expects from his people by overtly and obviously judging covenant violators in those early generations. He'll even sometimes put some to death. The early generations of the Abrahamic covenant, the sons of Judah, to whom that covenant was reiterated to Judah, it was given to Abraham and to Isaac, or rather Abraham and Isaac and then Jacob, and then to his sons, so basically we're just talking here about grandsons of Jacob. Judah's sons, Ur and Onan, were put to death rather directly by God for some wickedness. We don't even know what Ur did. We know Onan's sin was, was not providing an heir for his deceased brother who had no children. But in the early years of the Mosaic Covenant, we also see Similar things we saw there in the early years of the Abrahamic covenant, early generations, somebody was put to death for covenant violation. And in the early years of the Mosaic covenant, Nadab and Apayu, the, the very sons of Aaron, the first high priest, were killed by God for messing with the forms of worship that God had commanded. And think of all those who rebelled against the Lord, who died in the wilderness by plagues and serpents and fire from the Lord and being swallowed up by the earth. God doesn't do that in every generation, but he does those kinds of things in early generations of covenants. In the early years of the New Covenant, in Acts chapter 5, we read of of Ananias and Sapphira, who are killed by God for trying to lie to the Holy Spirit. Similarly, Paul says here, God has judged these early profaners of the Lord's Supper. Many have become ill, and some have even died because they failed to discern the Lord's body. That's how seriously God takes the Lord's Supper. It doesn't mean he'll do that in every generation to people who profane it, but it means that we should take it very seriously, because God clearly (laughs) takes it very seriously. Well, B, another 
consequence for failing to discern the Lord's body, or really uh, another way of looking at judgment, is that those who partake in unbelief, for them such judgment is condemnation. Unless such a person would later become a true believer, he is simply heaping up wrath of God upon himself by profaning the Lord's Supper with his unbelief. He will be condemned with the world, as Paul says in verse 32. But Of course, you notice that that's not the aim here. But before we get there, we'll notice as Hebrews 11.6 tells us, without faith it is impossible to please God. So if we take the Lord's Supper without faith in Christ, we're just heaping up God's judgment upon ourselves. But for those of us who are believers, then for the believer such a judgment is God's fatherly correction of his children. Verse 32, but when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. God intervenes to bring his people to repentance, to bring his straying sheep back. These are the consequences of failing to discern the Lord's body. He can bring judgment. And so if for those of us who are believers, of course, that judgment is a fatherly correction and not an utter condemnation. For as Romans 8 tells us, in verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But it is a fatherly correction. It's getting a spanking, so to speak, from God. Those are consequences of failing to discern the Lord's body. So then that brings us then to the question, what is the remedy for not discerning the Lord's body? How can we avoid this? How can we make sure that we are discerning the Lord's body? Well, examination is the, the answer. For one thing, elders must examine those who are, would desire to partake of the sacraments. In chapter 5, verse 7, we read, Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you are truly unleavened, for indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. And then in 5, verse 11, chapter 5, verse 11, But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. So we might bar someone from the Lord's table because of their open sin that they're not repenting of. As the Westminster Confession of Faith says, although ignorant and wicked men receive the outward elements in this sacrament, yet they receive not the things signified thereby. But by their unworthy coming thereunto are guilty of the body and blood of the Lord, to their own damnation. Wherefore, all, all ignorant and ungodly persons, as they are unfit to enjoy communion with him, so are they unworthy of the Lord's table, and cannot without great sin against Christ, while they remain such, partake of these holy mysteries, or be admitted thereunto. So, um, as far as we can tell, we should not be admitting people who would be ungodly. So the elders have to examine potential participants. And then B, self-examination. Because we can't know everything that's in your heart. We can only know your fruits. Well, verse 28. But let a man examine himself, Paul says. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So notice there, he does say, he doesn't say, stay away from the Lord's table lest you profane it. He says, examine yourself first and then eat and drink. After you've given ample and correct, honest self-examination. In verse 31, For if 
we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. So if, if we would just judge ourselves ahead of time and be correcting these things, God would not have to intervene and discipline us. Examine yourself before coming to the Lord's table. Recognize what sins you have in your life that you need to be repenting of and be repenting of them. Be sure you're repenting of sin and discerning the Lord's body. Ask God for his help to turn you away from them. So do you do those things? Do you discern the Lord's body in the sacrament? Do you recognize Christ's spiritual presence in the Lord's Supper? That he has given this as a sign of his atoning death? Do you recognize your union with Christ? As surely as you internalize the bread and the the cup, you have Christ's dwelling in you. You have Christ himself dwelling in you if your faith is in him. Do you recognize your union with other believers through Christ? And that the sacrament points to that as well, that, that you have a fellowship with them because they also have a union with the same Savior. God has made all believers one body in Christ. The consequence of not recognizing these things are dire. The Lord does not kill everyone, as we noted before, uh, who has partaken unworthily. But the fact that he killed some in the early generations of the church shows how seriously he takes the Lord's Supper and how offended he is if we profane it. So we should be careful not to profane it. Don't risk God's judgment by improper use of the sacrament. Well, the way to avoid that is through then examination. You know, all communicants have been examined by the elders at some point. The elders can't always know what's in your heart, as I said. If, if they see signs of unrepentance of ongoing sin, they may ask you or command you not to take the Lord's Supper with us at that time until you've repented. Well, do you take that seriously? Do you submit properly to church discipline? Do you examine yourself? So we can't know what's in your heart at all times, so be examining yourself then too. Do you examine yourself for a lack of repentance or failure to discern the Lord's body in any of those three ways we talked about? Do you refrain simply because uh, you're aware of some sin in yourself? No, don't do that. The sacrament is for sinners. So don't refrain simply because you're aware of sin and say, oh, I, I sinned in such a way last night or I had a sinful thought here just sitting in church and we're about to take the Lord's Supper. I can't take it. No. Recognize the sin, turn from it, and take the Lord's Supper. But do refrain if you see that you're not repenting. As our Reformed Presbyterian Constitution says, it is the duty of the church to warn you that if you do not trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, or if you are living an ungodly, disobedient life and have not repented, you should not partake of the Lord's Supper, lest you eat and drink condemnation to yourself. The Lord's Supper is for repentant and believing sinners who, after examining themselves and seeking reconciliation with their brothers, come confessing Christ as their Savior. This warning is not designed to keep the humble and contrite away from the Lord's Supper. On the contrary, the supper is a means of grace offered to sustain weak pilgrims on their journey through the wilderness of this life. We who come to partake of the symbols of Christ's body and blood come as sinners whose only hope is the grace of God in Christ. We come in a 
worthy manner if we recognize that in ourselves we are unworthy sinners who need a Savior, if we discern his body given for our sins, if we hunger and thirst after Christ, giving thanks for his grace, trusting in his merits, feeding on him by faith, renewing our covenant with him and his people. So the remedy is to be sure you're discerning the Lord's body by self-examination. And do that as you come to the Lord's table. Well, let's pray. Lord, help us to discern Christ's body in the Lord's Supper in every aspect of that term that we may not eat and drink judgment to ourselves. Grant that we may recognize Christ's true spiritual presence in the sacrament as well as our union with him and with each other. That we would be carefully examining ourselves that we might recognize our sins and be turning from them even as we depend wholly on Christ who is represented in that very sacrament. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.